Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Want to learn more about us? Check us out online at thefathershouse.com. We'd love to stay connected. Now, let's go to this week's message. Wow. Well, you look good today. We got two more teachings in this series this week and next week, and uh, then we're going to... We're going to go into the summer, and we call it the Summer of Psalms, and we're going to study the book of Psalms. You're going to have a lot of great speakers that are going to be here during that time, and I hope you're joining us every day as we do the Version Bible study. We got another new one that we're going to start tomorrow, and so let me help you with it. It's an easy way to get signed up. You can go ahead and take out your phone, go to fathershouse.com, go to our website, and you just uh, scroll down through all those happy faces there. See Gabriel stealing the scene there and Lissa. There's Pastor Tim and the other wonderful people. Go back to, yes, we're open. Celebrate recovery. By the way, that's a great thing for you with hurts, habits, and hangups. Every Monday night right here, a good time. Then right now, media, the Netflix of Christian Bible study, and they have a lot of R videos for religious so some good ones. And then a growth track, everybody should be part of that. And then Rebellion and Rescue is a U version we've been doing this week. And tomorrow, we're starting another one called Rewire Your Heart. So you can just go right there, click on that, and then click on, I'd like to join that uh, join this, join the plan, and then tomorrow we'll start together, and it gives you a chance to respond. What we're going to do is that we're going to talk about, we've talked about in this series how that Israel kept falling into sin, falling into sin, repeating the same thing over and over. And so I thought, well, before we finish this series, let's talk about how to break that cycle. And so this week is a real good one on rewire your heart, rewire your mind, and uh, so I hope that you will take a look at that and do that. All right. Uh, you have your Bible with you. If you do, let's hold it up our iPhone or iPad or eyeballs, whatever we have, and let's say it together. This is my Bible. It is the Word of God. Life to me. Today I receive the Word. My heart is receptive. I am obedient, and I will never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we come to you today and we thank you again, Lord. We thank you for people that are committed to you to either be watching online or to be in the house today. We don't take that lightly, Lord, but we, we honor all of those who have given time today to be with us. And Lord, I just pray that it might be worthwhile and meaningful to their life. I'm not up here today to impress anyone. I'm up here today to just try to encourage, to be who you want me to be. But Lord, I know I can't do that without your anointing, without that supernatural anointing of your Holy Spirit. So I just confess right now before everyone watching today that my words are nothing without your anointing. And I pray today, God, that you'll direct us, you'll guide us. We love you, Lord. Receive glory today in your name. Amen. Let me start off by asking this question. In your life, have you ever experienced rejection? Rejection. Anybody ever experienced rejection? Just go ahead and honestly raise your hand. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people today, right? A friend of mine was 12 years old. He comes to church here, good friend. 12 years old, his mother threw all of his clothes in a plastic bag, told him to get in the truck. His parents were separated at that time drove him to a place where she thought her ex-husband was, dropped him off, pushed him out the door, threw his clothes on the ground, said, find your father. 12 years old. 
carrying his bag of clothes, knocks on the door where he thought his dad was. The lady comes and said, what do you want? Who are you? And he says, I'm looking for so-and-so. She says, I don't know. He doesn't live here. 12 years old. Rejection. Rejection. What kind of rejection have you experienced in your life? It's not easy, is it? Years ago, I was told by my ex-wife, um, you're a good man, but I don't love you. And I never did love you. Wow. Those are tough words. Rejection. Rejection. How many times have you experienced that? So after she left the, the second time, the denomination that I was part of, that I'd traveled in 75 nations, said, because you don't have a good marriage, we're going to have to let you go. Rejection. Rejection is a tough thing, right? Some of you have felt rejection like that. Some of you have been rejected from a job. Some of you have been rejected by your kids. Some of you have been rejected, and you know what I'm talking about today. We've been doing church for 25 years, and we experience rejection, right, Tim? Uh, we have people that'll say to us, man, we, we love this house. We love this church. This is so awesome. And then all of a sudden, you find out they're not here anymore. You never say anything. Never say, hey, we'd like, for you to let us, we'd like you to let you know that we feel like God is moving on. They just, they just disappear. And they say, I'm going to another church. Or we have people say, or they'll post it online. Well, we finally found a church where the Spirit of God is free. Rejection. Rejection. You say, well, you shouldn't take it personally. I'm just like you. Rejection. But you know what we've learned? I've learned this in my life, and we've learned this at a church. We never burn a bridge because of rejection. Because if you burn a bridge, then one day, if, that, if the Lord wanted to restore that relationship, it would be impossible to do. I wrote this down before I came out here this morning. In fact, the Lord's changed my whole teaching today, so the people in the back just have to ride with me, right? And uh, school of ministry students know today that I'm doing something I say to them never do. Never use a piece of paper and turn it over where everybody sees it. My iPad happened to die before I came out of here, so you better be sure you're ready, right? So you guys are getting raw and real today. Is that okay? But here's what the Lord said to me. He said to remind people, that your response, not your reaction to rejection, will determine your future. Let me say that again. Your response, not your rejection, not your reaction, will determine your future. So, if you can identify with rejection in some form or another, you can identify today with our guy in the league of the least likely. His name is Jephthah, and Jephthah is a rejected deliverer. 
It's been fun, isn't it, in this series? Let me remind you where we've been. Jesus, the least likely rabbi from uh, Nazareth. David, the skinny-armed sheep herder. Shamgar, the unconventional deliverer. Mordecai and Abigail, the unseen heroes. Ehud, the left-hand assassin. Rahab, the believing unbeliever. And last week, Deborah and Barak, the unlikely duet. So today we're going to talk about a guy by the name of Jephthah, the rejected deliverer. I want to start in, uh, in uh, Judges chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now, Jephthah of Gilead was a great warrior. Would you underline that phrase? He was a great warrior. He was a great warrior. He was actually, the, the new King James said he's a man of valor. Isn't it interesting that uh, Gideon was afraid, but God said, you're a man of valor. But here with Jephthah, it starts right off that he's a man of valor before we ever get into the battle. So he was a great warrior. He was a son of Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also had several sons, and when those half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. Rejection. You will not get any of our father's inheritance, for they said, for you're the son of a prostitute. So Jephthah fled from his brothers, lived in the land of Tob. Soon he had a band of, underline this, worthless rebels following him. Jephthah was a child of shame. Can you imagine the ugly names that he grew up with? That he was never allowed to the big house where his brothers lived? That he was excluded from all the family games because his mother was a prostitute? Can you imagine the self-esteem and rejection issues that he dealt with? But the scripture says that what happened to him as everybody's rejecting him, he turns out to be, if you really want to look at it, he turns out to be a thug. He turns out to be a street thug. You want to reject me? You want to push me around? And so he begins to be all of that. And then finally, he took all he could, and he ran for the hills, and he hid out because he had enough of the rejection. You see, sometimes when you go through rejection and you react to rejection instead of, and you respond to rejection instead of react, it causes you to run. It causes you to hide. It causes you to say, I'll never let this happen to me again. I'll never trust anybody. I'll never get close to anyone again. And so you run. So he took up the lifestyle of a rebel with a bunch of thugs. I mean, if they had motorcycles back then and black leather jackets, they'd have probably wore, rode motorcycles, had black leather jackets, and they'd be known as the Tob Knob. They would be that mob that went place to place. And it says that they were actually rebels, and they would go from place to place. So here he is. He's living his life. But all of a sudden, something happens back at his dad's place. Look at this, Judges 11, 5 through 8. When the Ammonites attacked the elders of Gilead sent for Jephthah in the land of Tob. The elders said, including his brothers, you got to read into this, all right? Come and be our commander. Help us fight the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to them, aren't you the ones who hated me, drove me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Because we need you, the elders replied. If you lead us into battle against the Ammonites, we will make you ruler over all the people of Gilead. Wow. Notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't say, now's my chance to get you. I'm going to show you 
what it's like to be rejected after you rejected me. But you're not going to see that in him. Here's what I said earlier. How we react to rejection will determine what God will do in our life. So here they come and they say, hey, we need you. He says, what do you mean you need me? You, you only need me because you're in trouble. But is that a picture of people today with God? Everybody's happy as everything goes along, but let somebody get in trouble and all of a sudden they call the church. I need you to meet with my kids because they're in a mess and you haven't brought them in church for years. But now you think that Pastor Tim and Pastor Chris in an hour conference session can reverse all that you've ever done. But you see, listen, folks, God is not a spare tire that we use when we have a flat tire. God is our source, our strength that we need in our life. I see so many kids that were raised in church and when they get older, they go away from God because maybe they were rejected, maybe they were hurt, maybe they went through difficult times and different things in their life. And so all of a sudden now, they just have no time for God. But let a divorce come. Let a kid get cancer. Let problems come. And what do they do? They call the church. They call their parents. Would you help me? I need. And how many times in the time like that does the church help people? But then soon as people get better, they go back to again of forgetting God and only see God as a crisis God. We say, oh, that's a terrible thing. Is it? Uh, how long ago has it been since that happened in your life? That you just got coasting and all of a sudden troubles come and, and it wakes you up, right? So Jephthah, he realizes the strength of the Ammonite army and he tries to make a deal with God. He negotiates with God. Look at these verses, 29 through 35. At that time, after they came to him and uh, he's tried to negotiate with the Ammonites and all that didn't work. Scripture says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. And he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah in Gilead. And from there, he led an army against the Ammonites. Notice what he does. He gets past his past. You didn't want me. You didn't trust me. You kicked me out. You called me names. You called my mother names. And now you want, but you don't see that in here. You see that somehow he was touched of God in such a way that God said, I'll take somebody who's totally rejected, who nobody else wants, and I'll put you in a position of leadership. But in that position of leadership, you've got to be careful that you don't use that time to get back at people, to get back at the church, to get back at people for what they did for you in the past. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. The Lord didn't ask him to make a vow. He said, if you'll give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites and the Lord gave him what? Victory. He crushed the Ammonites, devastating the 20 towns of Aror in that area in the way they defeated the Ammonites. Chapter 11, verse 31. So he comes back to his house, and when he comes back to his house, houses at that time were basically two levels. 
Down below was the entryway, but that's where you kept animals and resources. And upstairs is where you lived. So he says in his vow, whatever comes out of the house, I'll sacrifice. Maybe he thought it would be his wife's pet cat. You know, a good thing to sacrifice, right? I'm sure he never thought it would be his daughter. Maybe his wife, but maybe not his daughter, all right? So when he gets back, the first thing that comes out of his house is not an animal, but his one and only daughter, his one and only child, his only hope for a lineage that would live after him. And so we come to a place that he says, why would you do that, daughter? You got to read the story. The Bible's a good place to read, right? Read the story. He said, I made a vow and he explained the vow. And here's what she says. Then you've got to keep your vow. You got to do what you said, but give me two months to go into the wilderness and take my handmaids with me and let me mourn that I have no future. I'll never know a man. I'll never be a mother. I'll never do that. Talk about rejection. Here's a girl that could have said to her father, how could you do that? How could you ruin my life the way you ruined my life? How could you treat me that way? Make a vow. Now look what's getting ready to happen. You're a worthless dad. She doesn't say that. See, God is working in this story to teach us all some things about rejection and how that God can redeem. So she was gone two months. She came back, and the Bible said he fulfilled his vow. Now, this comes a time when a lot of people struggle with this passage because they ask the question, did he really then burn his daughter, which is against, against the Scripture, as against God? Did he really do that, or did he not? A lot of theologians said, yes, he did it. He obeyed God. Why? Because he was, he was raised in a non-Jewish home. He was raised that he knew some scripture, but he didn't know all of it because he was raised in a dysfunctional home. But others say no, because when you look at the original text in Hebrew, there's a little word that can be translated in one of two ways. Look at this, Hebrews eleven thirty one. He says, I'm reading from the New America Standard because it's basically word for word, okay? Then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return safely from the sons of Ammon, it will be to the Lord's. And see that word and? That word and can also be translated or. And or I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So he makes a conditional vow. And so when you look at this passage, it could literally be transferred like this. You might want to take a picture of this. It's not in your notes. This is the literal translation. The one who comes forth to meet me, I will consecrate to the Lord. Or if no one comes out, I will offer him a burnt offering. So he's simply saying, if you look at that in the original, I'm not saying either way. 
It could have been either way. I'm not a scholar enough to tell you it was one or the other because people that I love and I study after take both sides. I personally lean to this side that he says, if it's an animal that comes out, if it's a person that comes out, I'll consecrate them to the Lord. In other words, for the rest of their life, they'll live as a servant to the Lord. So I'll take this, they'll go to the temple and, I, and they'll be a servant unto the Lord. But if no one comes out, then I will sacrifice an animal unto the Lord. So here's what he's saying in this passage, if we look at it in that way. Then for the rest of my daughter's life, she will be consecrated into the temple worship and she will never be able to marry. She'll never have any children. She'll live the rest of her life isolated from God. Not isolated from God, but isolated from life because she'll be totally consecrated to God. If that be the story, which I believe that's a story, because later on in the Samuel's writings, Samuel says that Jeff that was a great man. I don't believe he would have said he was a great man. I believe he would have said he was a stumbling man. But even in the, in the, in the book of Hebrews, uh, we read the story, right? And, and what more can I say to convince you? For there is not enough time to tell you the story of Gideon, Barak, Samson, and there he is, Jephthah. You see, the hall of faith is not the hall of fame, You know, football players are elected to the Hall of Fame because of their works. But the Hall of Faith is not about an individual. It's about their faith in a God that can take circumstances, wrong choices, wrong attitudes, and God, as we have faith in Him, can reverse that entire thing and we can end out our life being called a person of faith in the league of the least likely. If you believe that today, give the Lord a hand clap. So let me share with you today some lessons from this story, some lessons that I've learned, and maybe you can apply them to your life. It's on the back of your handout. Here's the first one. Don't let your circumstances define you. Say that with me. Don't let your circumstances define you. He's rejected by his family, but they didn't define him. He was rejected by his family but he didn't let that rejection determine his future. There's some of you that are here today and some of you that are listening have let the rejection of a job, of a divorce, of a person, of a situation, you have let that crowd into your life and you live in the shadows of that rejection instead of rising above that rejection into the leadership that God wants you to have. I remember after I went through uh, the the divorce. Linda left the first time. She was gone nine months. She said, the kids are miserable. Uh, I'm coming back. I never loved you. I should have never married you. Uh, But the kids are miserable. So for nine months, I worked at putting my marriage back together. She came back. Uh, For five years, we lived together. Uh, There was no love. But there was five years I kept believing for total restoration. Um, she went to nursing school. I put her through nursing school. We was pat, trying to pastor a small little church in Virginia. I know what it's like to uh, w- want to be held. And instead of being held, you're just rejected. I know what it's like to kiss someone only for the kiss and not know there's anything behind that. I literally remember, I can remember to this day, of finding a telephone pole and hugging a telephone pole because a telephone pole wouldn't reject my hug. So 
So after five years, she left again. You see, I don't like to talk about this because when you talk about, most times people when talk about something, they only talk about it from their position. I never was a perfect guy. There was a lot of situations in my life, a lot of things. Everybody has to own their own junk, right? So anyway, I just want to tell you, though, how God has redeemed this. So when she left the second time, I felt totally devastated. Felt like such a failure. How could I ever preach again? How could I ever stand in front of people? How could I ever do that? But you see, sometimes we go through things. I'm not saying God intends for things to happen, but God allows things to happen because of people's attitudes. But in the midst of that, if we learn to react right, God can do something for our character in a time of crisis that he could never do in a time of glory. Through that time, I'll tell you, I learned that Jesus was my best friend. That, that Jesus, I remember walking into a church one day and, and I, I, this may not make sense to you, but somebody say, well, how did you feel when you went through it? I said, I felt like a corroded quarter. Okay. You ever seen a corroded quarter? I mean, it looked like it was worthless. I mean, it just ugly, horrible. And you would look at it, it's like, I don't want that corroded quarter. That's ugly. Give me a bright, shiny quarter. That's how I felt. But a corroded quarter is still worth 25 cents. I remember walking into church one day. I was attending a church. I wasn't pastoring and my shoulders were slumped. I went in late so that I wouldn't have to see anybody. I usually left early so I wouldn't have to see anybody. I walked in late and, and on that day, one of my, a godmother, spiritual godmother in my life, Naomi Gandia, happened to be behind me. And I didn't know anyone was there. And she said this to me. Terry Mahan, pick your shoulders up. Pick your head up. What you've been through does not define who you are or what God is going to do in your life. And I just say that to some of you today, that you, that you look at all of those and you think, you know, how could that be? How could that be? We have to choose not to live in our past. The second thing, we have to realize there is hope. There is hope. Remember that when others reject you, God chooses you. Instead of looking at your suffering, your difficulties, your challenges, you have hope. I learned that Jesus was my best friend. I learned after a, a, a good long, a good while that Anita came into my life, never been married. God, she brought love into my life. She loved my girls. She became a spiritual mother to my girls. She never tried to usurp the position of my children's biological mother. And so in the midst of all of that, there's little glimmers of hope. And then here's what else you got to understand. I'm not saying this happens for everybody. I can't promise you that what you've been through out of rejection, you'll ever find a full restoration of that. But I want to tell you to this day that we are in great relationship with Linda, my ex-wife. She loves Anita. She loves me. We were driving down the road, Anita and I, years after years after we were married. And Linda calls. And she says, Terry, I just want to say to you, I'm so sorry that I hurt you the way that I hurt you. Hey, you see, some of you have been waiting for somebody to say something like that to you. But you see, the reason that that was able to happen, 
I believe, is because that I was able to respond in a way that wasn't trying to get back at you or hurt you or reject you. I mean, we spend Christmases together sometimes. You say, well, how could that be? Because you see, rejection doesn't define you. Rejection is an opportunity for you to react in such a way that God can use you to help other people. I never, I never attacked her through my kids like some of you do. If you don't believe me, ask Kelly. She's sitting in the front row. I never, to their face, I'm not saying I never said this myself, but I never said that to their face. And when my kids were away from me, I sent them a card almost every week affirming my love. Affirming my love. Never once did I or Anita put down her biological mother. Never once did we say she is worthless, she's no count, but we built her up. I'm telling you today, this morning, she's probably singing on the stage in a church in South Carolina where she's part of, and God has restored her as well as restored me. There's a lot of questions in the midst of that that I don't understand, but this I believe. The Lord changed my teaching this morning so that I could say to you how you respond to re- and react to rejection will determine whether you live there for the rest of your life or you move on. That's why some of you have been, yeah, give the Lord a hand clap. He deserves it all. That's why some people get married again and again and again and again and again because there's ne- they're never willing to get beyond the rejection. Don't burn bridges. We have people that leave the church and are very demeaning towards us, saying nasty things on the internet. And boy, those hurt. You have to put your big boy panties on and, and say, I'm not going to react. How many times do we want to react, Tim? How many times do we want to say, that's not true. You're saying that to all the world and that's not true. But you see, Casey Treat taught me years ago, Terry, don't burn the bridge. Because if you burn the bridge, there won't be a way for, some, for the Lord to bring somebody back to restore a relationship. We've had people leave the church in 25 years that were very nasty to us. But come back and say, I'm sorry for what I did. Would you welcome me back? Well, we never burn the bridge. If we'd have burned the bridge and attacked back, do you think they would have felt comfortable to come home? No. I'm just saying to you today, you may not ever have a total restoration like we've experienced in our life. And we're not anybody special. But you can know that you're in a place that you walk in total forgiveness for any rejection that's happened to you. See, some of you today feel like God has rejected you. That's a tough place to be. That's a tough place. But he wanted me to tell you today, he hasn't rejected you. Number three, stop, tr- st- stop, tr- stop, stop trying 
start trusting. All right. I saw it there, but my brain wouldn't coordinate to my lips what I was supposed to say. Thank you for helping me out. Stop trying, start trusting. Here's what I want you to write down. God uses us not because, but even though. God uses us not because, but even though. God uses us not because we're great, not because we react in every way. God doesn't, but he just uses us because he wants to. Strange as it may seem, the flaws, the failures, the faults you have are the very imperfections that God can use to help you. As I thinking about the final words today, I was thinking about a story that I could sum all of this up or pull it all together. But then I just thought about everybody here today has some flaw in your background. And if you don't, let me tell you your flaw. You're a liar. I speak that not prophetically, but I speak that pathetically. We all have stains in our family history. There are people here today that can identify with Jephthah because you were born out of wedlock. You've never known your biological father. Some of you had an abusive, drunken parent. Some of you had rebellious children that after all the love that you could give them, they rejected you. Some of you today have made some bad, hasty decisions. And it's negatively impacted not only your life, but like Jephthah's daughter. Some of you today have experienced divorce. Some of you today have experienced an affair or the results of an affair. Some of you made financial decisions that have destroyed your marriage and your kids. Some of you, the weekly decisions that you make right now are affecting the life of the future of your kids. But here's what I want to tell you today. Regardless of your past circumstances, your poor choices, God can work redemptively in forgivingly reshaping your life. And it can make your life more than you can ever imagine it to be. And you can be part of the league of the least likely. Remember our theme verses? Let's read it together. Here it is. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential. Not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chose these nobodies to expose the hallowed pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate, a fresh start, comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, 
If you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. Would you bow your heads with me? Wow, I sense the Spirit today. I don't know why my iPad crashed this morning and my notes left. I don't know why the Lord had me to change the whole front of this. I don't like to talk about things that's happened in my life as though I was a perfect person, everybody did me wrong, because boy, I know that's not the truth, and if you'd known me very long, you know that's the truth also. But evidently, somebody today, here or online, needed to hear that story, that rejection is not final. It doesn't define you. But some of you are living in the shadow of rejection. Somebody left you. They divorced you. You gave your life to somebody else. They enjoyed whatever they could get, and then they left. And you're sitting here today, some of you, with two or three children and a couple of different biological dads for those children. And you wonder, how could I have made so many bad decisions? I don't know. The world is full of bad decisions. But Jesus Christ came so that he could take all the bad decisions and the sinful decisions that we would ever make. And he would bear those on the cross that he might could give us freedom, that he might could give us forgiveness of sins. Maybe you're here today and you've carried a chip on your shoulder for years because of the church. Maybe because of ministry. And it's kept you away from a total decision of following the Lord. Today's reminding you, the Lord's reminding you today, no, he's got it all taken care of. But you need to make a choice not to live under the shadow of that rejection. If you're here today and you've never invited Jesus into your heart and into your life, or if you need to rededicate your life to him today, maybe you've grown cold, but you say, today's the day that I want to rededicate my life to the Lord. Those of you that are watching online, thank you so much for sticking out to the end today. If that's you, would you raise your hand right there where you are online or those of you that are in the house and say, I need prayer today. I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. I want to give my life to him. Maybe for the first time or rededicating my life, I've gone astray. I need him today. I need him today. Just raise your hand. Let me pray with you and for you today. Thank you. Let me lead you in this prayer. Pray this prayer with me. Father God, thank you today that I don't have to live in my past. Forgive me. I confess my sins. And I ask you to forgive me. Give me a hope for life in your name. Now, before I leave today, I want to pray for those of you that identified with this teaching. I don't even know that it made sense. I'll have to sit down between services and look at it and see if it even made sense. But it's just basically sharing my heart with you today. And not a heart that would say, oh, I've been done wrong. Stand in line, folks. We've all been done wrong. But I don't know why. 
I don't know why God has blessed me the way he has. I don't know why that he's redeemed my kids and they're serving the Lord with all their heart. I don't know why my grandchildren have a destiny and a purpose. I don't know why my daughters have great husbands. I don't know why I have a great wife that has become a great mother to my kids. There's nothing in my life that would say I deserve that any more than what you deserve today. But it's when we're willing to get past the hurt and the shadows. Some of you today may, may need to make a phone call. Some of you today may need to write something down on a piece of paper, lay it on the altar and let it go. Yeah, you were abused. You were raped. You were rejected. But that doesn't mean that you are a reject. Because you're living in the shadow of divorce doesn't mean that you're worthless. I just got to pray for you today. If this teaching identified with you in any way, would you raise your hand today so that I can know that, that we're on track and I want to pray for you today. Just keep your hands up. Don't be embarrassed. Father, you see these hands. And I don't know what you want to do in the individual lives. But you see an honest heart and an honest hand that's saying, I don't want to live there. I don't want to live in the past, but I want to move to the future. So Lord, if that's a tough conversation they need, that's a conversation with you, if that's a letter they need to write, if it's something that they need to just write down and tear up and throw away, Lord, this is a house of miracles. So I'm praying today for a miracle that all of those kids that are here, that are listening, that a parent walked out on them and they've lived their life without a dad or a mom in the house. Lord, you said in Psalm, when your mother and father forsake you, then you'll take us up. I pray for those that live in rejection because of divorce. And I pray you'll wrap your arms around them and that you'll strengthen them and let them experience the love that you ex let me experience through you, Jesus. That we could be a house of restoration for your glory. Well, if you love Jesus more than you love apple pie, would you give the Lord a hand clap today? Amen. It's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in your life. We would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps might be, visit thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.